0: Origin Clear is a company that focuses on wastewater treatment. And hello, everyone. And welcome to the Water's New Gold CEO briefing. Our mission is to transform the water industry.
1: Decentralization offers us this opportunity. The plan that you've built here is super impressive.
2: The world is experiencing a crisis in regards to water. It's a great opportunity that you are giving us investors. The
0: decentralization of water treatment means that we no longer need to establish giant water treatment plants. Let them fight over the 20%.
2: Let's work with the 80% that's untreated. Over 21,000 unique alternative
0: investments. Three million jobs in the U.S. alone. Making it easy for the regular investor. All the old trends just accelerated. Lucrative and fulfilling. The vision I've got is to standardize these products. Design, build, own, and operate. 65 people in the room. We've got an important message to, to the world. We can put a guy on the moon, but our water is horrible.
1: Recycling all that water, it's a huge impact for the environment. Bringing new infrastructure in drives growth in America.
0: That's a critical part of the picture. It's
2: a twin 125 gallon per minute RO system.
0: I don't think we're talking about a $10 million fund. We're talking about a series of $10 million yeah.
2: The opportunity itself is very big. Tulip, yes.
0: Not too many CEOs do a weekly briefing and are willing to talk to individual investors. And here we are. How's everyone? It's nice to see people showing up right now. And I have an action-packed briefing for you. The 159th briefing, Water is a New Gold. And we've got this great water on demand thing. I've got lots of great things to talk to you about with respect to... uh, Geopolitical developments and how we are directly helping with um, helping people with what is dramatically impacting them. This is a tough time for many. Uh, people are adapting and we are helping them adapt too. All right. So, um, of course, we always try our very best to get it right and to tell you as much as we can legally. And when it's incorrect, we of course correct it. All right, I wanted to give you a quick sneak peek to the new website. This is super cool. And I see that we have Ken with a happy birthday coming up, the main man himself. Let's take a look right now. All right, so here is, you can see along the top here, this is the um, Adobe system here with the top line here. So what this is is a prototyping environment and so the home page is this one invest in water like an oil well. And then we go down to largest commodity on the planet. And then it continues step one, building the fund. Step two, backed by trusted technology, of course. Step three, wealth creation and continued revenue. How it's transforming the water industry in the world. This picture is supposed to be a picture of me. I know. He's prettier than me, I'm sure. But and he has hair. This is supposed to be me. Uh, And then, of course, we have the team. So that's, and then moving on to the infrastructure in crisis, some of the stats involved, um, the hotel chain uh, case study that we're building here. Um, And then we have the FAQs, which have already been written, synopsis, and of course the footer. All right, and then we have, what is the impact is what we just saw. how to invest in water like an oil well, and of course we have a picture of an oil well, right? Uh, Master limited partnerships. Here we have how the traditional MLP works, and then how the water demand thing works. Isn't that cool? Traditional water demand, super cool. Uh, and then we have our projects. So um, Origin Clear, this is the one, of course, we saw already. The team, um, the these are the, of course, the media and um, the CEO briefings here, what is our story? And of course, contacting us. Of course, it's got a lot of um, building to do, but it's a really good looking website, looks fantastic. And I love what the team has done. So that's our um, marketing agency, Monarchy, with the, our internal personnel, Andrea D'Agostini and Josh Summers, Doing the management, really, really proud of them. So that's that part. So you'll be seeing that develop. Now, world economic trends. What is driving self-sufficiency? Because that is really what we're talking about here. First of all, obviously, you know, you know what you're paying for gas. It is taking off, and it is just showing no sign of stopping. Um, worse is diesel. Why? Because that impacts trucking. Now we're up to six dollars a gallon, and um, it just keeps on going. So this, this has all kinds of what they call knock-on effects in uh, industry because of the need for diesel and transportation. Of course, you know that grocery store prices are up, most higher highest in 42 years. Along with it is uh, droughts and water restrictions because the centralized systems are not designed for proper recycling on site, et cetera. They're, they're trying hard. I, Los Angeles is, is among the most efficient cities. In America, probably the most efficient city in America, but they're still stuck with a non-recycling water system, right? And Keith says, last night, the news said that 3.2 billion people will face scarce water scarcity this year and exactly that California will limit people to seven gallons of water a day. This is serious. You're absolutely right, Keith. All right, and so we continue here. Look at the mortgage rates. They are just taking off and they are not taping up. So we're at 5.3%. Highest since July 2009, when we were coming out of the recession. And remember how money was super tight back then. and You had to have incredible credit to borrow anything, total overreaction to what had happened. Well, here we are again. Now, I'm going to go through some stats that came from a very good YouTube by Adapt 2030. And it came out today, what if we can't move food and money across countries anymore? And um, this is a very interesting set of slides. First of all, you think that you're safe with Coinbase. Um, Yeah, actually, you could be. What you have in uh, a crypto exchange, you know that can be seized for to pay off bankruptcy. So that's an issue. Number two is banks themselves use money, and they also can. It's called bail-ins. Is when they take the money from. Bailouts is the government injecting money. Bail-ins is when the creditors do the um, restructuring. Basically, they take a haircut, All right? So what do we know so far? That um, crypto is not that safe unless you go completely offline and stay out of exchanges. Uh, Number two is banks are not safe either if they go upside down. Equities, I'm sorry, now they've taken a hit and it's... um, I think it's, we have a big problem with uh, demand destruction, and so that's not over by a long shot. Um, and the producer price index, look at your, the eurozone up ridiculously, thirty-six point eight percent. That's not even; they can't even compute with that. They're like, what the heck, right? Now, meanwhile, average rent for New York City one-bedroom apartment is you know between five and sixty. I mean, I don't know who makes that kind of money who actually, that's well over a a mortgage. Gosh, uh, if you were buying a place just a few months ago, your mortgage was going to be, you know, in the, for $2 million, uh, let's let's say a $1 million home, $3,000 a month, well, you know, not a problem. So this is really ridiculous. And guess what? That same amount pays for a farm and you can have, you know, your own growing of food. And this is what is happening to people. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to share a very good. Um, we, we excerpted this because it's longer. It's it's fairly long, but it's really good. Peter Zehan is brilliant, and he is in a debate with a tech financial analyst, and you'll see it's kind of a takedown. Uh, but this is the reality, and this you know we, we keep hearing about how technology is wonderful, but technology relies on underlying basic things in place. Let's see here what Peter Zahan has to say.
3: We understand oil. We know we have to deal with Iraq and Iran and Venezuela and Russia. It's a supply chain that's awkward and painful sometimes, but we understand it. If you want to move to EV, you have to replace the oil supply chain system with 13 more. And we have to deal with 60 countries instead of five. And if we lose access to any of them, the whole thing collapses. Right now, Hong Kong, Shenzhen, and Shanghai are offline. We don't know when they're going to come back. And this is the new normal for China because they don't have a, a vaccine. So anyone who hasn't already moved their manufacturing is just absolutely getting beaten about the head and shoulders right now. That transition is happening right now. There have only been three technological revolutions in human history that have actually changed the relationship of a society to its economy and a society to its geographic positioning. Sedentary agriculture, deep water navigation, and the industrial revolution. The digital revolution is real. It is changing many things about how we live and how we earn income, but it is dependent upon the industrial revolution. It is not a fundamental quantum leap beyond it. So, if you break down the energy system of oil and electricity, there's nothing in the digital space that works. And I would argue that we're going to see a great deal of deindustrialization around the world in the next 20 years. Help me understand what you mean by deindustrialization? You mean people are going to stop making things? Sure. We're in the early stages of seeing this in Ukraine, which is kind of unfair considering there's a war going on. But Ukraine gets all of its energy from Russia. And we're going to see four to five million barrels a day of Russian crude go offline later this year, which means there is not enough for global consumption to continue in its current form. Uh, Even if I believed in EVs hugely, the technology isn't far enough along for it to be applied to the poorer locations of the world. So places that depend upon international trade to get the building blocks of modern society, oil. Natural gas, copper, iron ore, and so on. We're entering a period of abject shortage as global trade links break down. So there are huge portions of the world. The country I am, bar none, most concerned about is China, that simply aren't going to have access to the materials that they need to continue in a modern industrialized lifestyle. And if you start to deindustrialize, cities are a death trap. And so you're going to see the cities in these areas a degree empty so that people can go back to at least somewhere where, where they can eat. Okay, we have uh, got to think about why we've been able to do what we've done for the last 75 years. We've had a change in the macro strategic environment, and that's allowed access from labor or energy or finance or tech from anywhere in the world to go anywhere else. The whole world has been a single system, and the economies of scale have been massive. That's now breaking down. But are you guys familiar with what went down in the digital space in the the Twitter revolution in Egypt? Very short version. The Mubarak dynasty were a bunch of assholes. And so when the people rose up against it, the military stood back and made sure that all the digital avenues were open and it resulted in the Mubarak Mubarak fall. Uh, Two years later, the military was like, "Uh, we don't like what's replaced it. So they cut the cables linking Egypt to the rest of the world. There were only two. And they controlled the information space uh, and they were able to take over very easily. About a year after that, the Russians came to Egypt to find out how it was done. So then the Russians went and put digital kill switches on the four cables that go in and out of Russia. That's one of the reasons the information space in Russia is so tight and so ridiculous right now. Every authoritative system in the world has done some equivalent like that. And so, the degree to which you can have honest, direct, open, globalized, if you will, connections uh, is a much smaller part of the world than you might think. And it is dependent upon governments feeling secure enough and cultures being secure enough in their identity to not limit the digital connections between them and everyone else. That
0: was a. Quick uh, look at what is going on. So you have the assumptions of modern life and how this high tech stuff, including this very Zoom that we are on, rely on layers and layers and layers of supply. But many many people are just literally hours away from you know their fridge just running out of power and that's so forth. So you know um, and and a lot of people are aware that they have to do something about it and this. You know, it started with COVID where it drove people moving out and more and more people are aware that they need to move into um, communities that um, just like what my wife and I did when we moved to Florida and we're in a, a community that's that's a very, you know, we're modern. We're not, you know, a bunch of preppers. We're not, you know, um, you put, you know salting away. We should probably have five years worth of, of food supplies, but at the very least, we have a community here. And we have friends, friends with farms, right? So that's kind of what the new thing is, is creating a network of friends that can take care of it. So once you go back down to this level, you go, wait a minute, what about my energy? What about my food supplies? What about my water? And that's when that gets important. So I'm going to go ahead and continue on to play uh, the next video. This video is a um, excerpt from an interview that I gave And the interviewer who was taking notes for an article he was writing was kind enough to share the results with me. So let's take a look.
1: So the piece I'm working on is about security risks to critical infrastructure. You know, how bad these are getting and what's being done to protect them.
0: There's been uh, really no more than two or three cyber intrusions in water, and they've been generally caught. There has not been a lot of you know, infrastructure, successful intrusion in, in, in um, water infrastructure to date. You know, uh, They were able to catch it in a couple of the instances that it occurred. But generally, what we're talking about here is the problem with, with the water industry is that the old centralized model, is falling apart. We have under underfunding by the federal government, which has basically gone away, rising demands on the water industry for increased um, standards. And we have, of course, just general expansion of businesses and populations. And it's just not being kept up with. Now, the solution is to take the load off and start doing more at the periphery. So that's what we call decentralized water treatment. Uh, more and more businesses doing their own treatment and that actually uh, makes a more robust n- uh, network when it comes to cyber defenses because it's just like how the internet was originally conceived by DARPA as a, as a network that would not go down in the event of, an, of a nuclear exchange because each node would be independent. Now that's of course no longer true with the internet. It's, it's far from that today. But that's the idea is to create redundancy by having everyone do do as much water treatment as they can. And then that of course takes the load off the central water treatment system and the problem goes away. What we're seeing is a growing interest in do-it-yourself water treatment by businesses. And then we have another major, major trend, which is populations are migrating away from the cities. The vision of quote-unquote smart cities is kind of in trouble because COVID gave us an idea of just how fragile things could be in a big city. You know, in the country, things just went on as they were. In the big city, of course, there were lockdowns and so forth. And that is also a problem when it comes to food supplies, cyber preparedness, et cetera. The more concentrated the population, the more you have a problem. So what you have is is people are moving to the exurbs and to other states. And that's creating a need for more housing communities that are off the grid. My VP just the other day bought a 50-acre plot in, in Pennsylvania that was quite cheap because it had no sewage access. But he knew that because he works for us and that's what we do, it's very easy to put in your own independent, autonomous water treatment, clean water supply, recycling, the whole thing, and actually save money against what the city does for you. So that is the growing direction. Some people call it biourbanism, where as opposed to the smart cities concept where biourbanism is very resilient. You know, if there's food shortages, well, they're making their own food. If there's meat shortages, they know the local farmer. They, they're a community and they know each other. I lived for years in L.A. without knowing who, who my neighbors were. That's not the case anymore. I'm in Florida here. I'm in a like-minded community. And that, I think, is a big, big trend. And part of that is water self-sustainability.
1: If you have multiple smaller water providers, and and this, uh, you know, instead of instead of one monolithic water utility, you'll have hundreds or thousands of them.
0: Well, I'm old enough to remember the uh, the, the great blackout, the New York blackout back in the in um, what was it, the late '60s, and because one switching station, I think it was in Canada, went down, the entire of the Eastern Seaboard went down. So you have a, a monolithic water system. It's more fragile because you can take it down, but centralized water treatment, you've got smaller nodes, therefore if a node goes down, so what? It's just one node versus the entire thing, number one. Number two, these are more modern networks. What's being built now is inherently intelligent. These have sensors and they have more robust protections. And, you know, it's just more modern equipment, and it's built for these these potential attacks. So, for example, I'll just give you a great example. Down in uh, Miami Dade County, they they have a big problem with over a hundred thousand septic tanks in the county that were put in because the um, there wasn't proper urban planning, and people just went and put out septic tanks, and now it's creating a big problem with the aquifers. So they're saying, "Well, let's spend six billion dollars to replace all those septic tanks with." sewage. And what's that going to do? First of all, come up with the money. Secondly, you're going to tear up streets and you know ruin quality of life for 20 years. Why not just do a rebate program for people to put in their own on-site systems? The problem gets solved 20 years earlier with one-tenth the expense. It's actually a better solution overall because you're not relying on that central system. You know, I think the, the whole idea of central-based systems is is really a you can almost think of it as a fifties concept. It's it's a you know, big, robust, central systems that do all the work. We're moving away from that. I you know, I often say that, you know, California won't get a high speed train because they'll just get Google self-driving cars, you know, and because we already have freeways. So that's kind of how it is is use the existing infrastructure, build compactly at the point of use, don't get into lots of transportation of the sewage, which is a point of vulnerability. I mean, think about it, pipelines are a major problem, you get a you get a sewage main break, now you've got sewage everywhere. That's just as much of a problem as cutting the fresh water supply. So you have to think about any time that you are transporting clean or dirty water, you're creating a vulnerability. By doing it all on site, you're taking
1: away that problem. Mm-hmm. Got it. So what advice do you have for these monolithic uh, utilities who are out there and probably aren't going to disappear anytime soon, but still have to mitigate these kind of risks in the meantime.
0: Well, the good news is they, uh, in general, the we have 150,000 plus water systems in America. And in general, they're delighted to see businesses and housing developments do their own work. Uh, we have a client that has a trailer park in Alabama. I don't know if you know, but trailer parks have always had a very primitive a sewage treatment system consisting of dumping it in a pond. <laughs> and. Uh, but the the Department of Environmental Quality in in Alabama was was requiring it to be upgraded and they said well let's just hook up to the city's sewer system and the city would not accept it said no we won't take it it's too dirty it's too much of a load so the municipal treatment districts uh, are very happy to see businesses and and residential developments take care of themselves and take the problem off their off their plate part of the problem Christopher is that People are not aware there's a problem with centralized water. They think everything's fine. And that's mostly because the, the industry's been saying everything's fine, don't worry, it's all good. And they would try to reassure everybody. But then you get with these these problems like what happened a few years ago in Compton, California, where the water started turning running brown and the residents said, what's going on? And, and the local water district said, well, we've been asking for money for the last 15 years and you, you wouldn't vote the funds. And so now here we are. Again, the solution is not to try and force cities and so forth to, to spend a ton of money, but instead bring about more self-reliance. So the force that is making it happen is not going to be the central water systems making a lot of change happen because, frankly, they're overwhelmed. It's going to be things like our own water-on-demand program where we are providing capital for you know business and, and housing development water systems that they don't have to pay for upfront. So it makes the decision very easy. And so it's kind of a revolution where people don't have to come up with all the capital to do their own treatment. They can just keep paying on the meter like they always did. And I think that's gonna be the accelerator is a a better financial model for the people who now have to do their own treatment.
1: Great. I think I have what I need here. This has all been very helpful. It's a pleasure, Christopher. Thank you so much. Thanks, Riggs.
0: While well, all this was going on, people were texting me, "Dude, mute your microphone." No, it wasn't me typing; it was the reporter uh, taking notes as I was talking to him. And uh, it was interesting to see what parts he thought was interesting by when he clattered. Right, that was kind of cool. But nonetheless, it it um, this is where I started to talk. This is about a week ago where I started to talk about you know taking care of detached communities, this this trend, and so forth. As you can see, it's we're starting to develop this as something that's highly relevant because people are not that aware of sewage. They don't care that much, but they sure care about the water they're drinking. And that's really important for the focus. So um, I'm gonna now play a clip. The last clip it's a very short, um, kind of makes my point. uh, Let's take a look at this one.
1: The housing shortage and skyrocketing real estate market in Central Florida is drawing attention and money from Wall Street.
0: West 2 Scott Heidler reports an investment fund just bought up an entire neighborhood.
4: Cypress Bay rests at the very southern edge of Brevard County. But this rental housing development, thanks to a surging market in Central Florida fueled by scant available housing, and a growing job market, caught the attention of the deep pockets of Wall Street. That's a concern for a movement of Brevard faith-based organizations working for more affordable housing here. When investors come in, of course, and invest, property goes, it just goes off the off the roof, right? And which marginalizes a whole lot of people who just can't afford it, especially those in Bavar County who are making less than $46,000 a year. This community here in Palm Bay of 87 homes was bought by two investment funds for $45 million, backed by massive New York Investment Bank. Goldman Sachs, a relatively new move by Wall Street, capitalizing on spiking rental prices.
3: The degree of
2: large Wall Street money coming in uh, is fairly new. uh, And I think this is due to the unique circumstance of housing shortage.
4: That shortage is not looking to correct itself soon, so the money will probably keep flowing.
0: Wall Street is able to generate money, uh, private equity, hedge funds, and others to say, let's go chase the rising rents and hence money coming into rental property development.
4: So what happened at Cypress Bay with the steep market demand here will no doubt happen in other nearby neighborhoods. In Palm Bay, Scott Heidler, West 2 News.
0: Fascinating, huh? So yeah, uh, now housing developments are being picked up in areas where people want to live. And so um, do you wanna live in Chelsea, New York? and where it's a $6,000 apartment, and people are moving out. So I don't even know why the rents are so high. Or do you want to move somewhere like here, where even though it's expensive, uh, relative to what it was, it's still far less than the big city. And there's this access to, you know, the local farmer and so forth. So this, this is the whole calculus here. So we're done with the videos. Now, let me just quickly move through some of the recap slides. So the macro trend is massive migration away from the cities. Obviously, people can work from anywhere. They also want a less restrictive, safer, more affordable lifestyle. And they can even maybe get, you know, that farm produce down the road, right? And brings us to self-sufficient communities where they're being built now, often where sewage service is a problem, and they need not only the self-service sewage treatment, but also the clean, affordable water and where appropriate recycling. This new program, we're calling Water for Us, Self-Sufficient Water for Detached Communities. That's the that's the working description. Now, we're already in this business. We already have clients that are housing developments. For example, we're building a housing development for the homeless in Texas. Um, we, we have, obviously, mobile home parks, that trailer park that, I, that was featured in that um, interview. Uh, high-end hotels, you know that we're helping to launch the incoming water treatment for a top hotel, and that is coming the official launch I believe is in July. RV campgrounds, we have several RV campgrounds and, and we have a very long-term relationship with a highway travel stop uh, network, uh, chain. So we have those clients already. We already know how to build systems for them. And obviously the next step is to do the finance, which is water on demand. They really are interested in water independence. Now, if you have city water, then you have these combinations. You can clean the city water and do sewage treatment. You can just do sewage treatment and recycling. You can do all these different varieties, right? Well supply, same similar here. So these are various different um, a la carte type things you can do to uh, for your water. And obviously we are able to do all of them. Now, I told you last week about uh, Ivanance as an early partner, and sure enough, um, that is firming up. Uh, we are putting together the what's called pro formas, which is are the, the theoretical um, cost structures for supplying water to the housing development, and of course we're putting the agreements together and we're planning some announcements. So that's moving very very quickly. Uh, we're very happy that Ivan, who moves very dynamic and moves very quickly, is um, helping us uh, get some traction in this new area because we are he is completely bought into the idea. water as a service all right so we're going to now move into the freewheeling discussion and uh we were hoping to have andrea unfortunately he was had a dental day today and so he's
2: so (laughs) dental day and i just had a bad hair day i'm saying i just had a bad hair day it's fine well i don't have bad hair days ever you don't have bad hair days no that's that's (laughs) a good thing
0: So, you know, this array of stats and so forth, but the good news is that people are adaptable. People go, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And they're, you know, just like you did, just like my family did, move to an area where we have better control over our lives. Mm -hmm. Years ago, actually, you moved out of Long Beach, New York. Uh, for, for reasons that are real. Well, I, got, I got
2: washed out of Long Beach, but yeah, I, I left Long Island eventually, right? Um, so yeah, so that's an interesting point, right? So Yeah, San, so I, Sandy,
0: Sandy took care of you, but, but nonetheless, you went away from a, a, a fragile, vulnerable yes. area to yeah, one where absolutely. you could feel more secure.
2: Absolutely. Um, and and uh, to give you an idea, when Sandy hit Long Beach, New York, where I lived, I had a second floor condo that took water. Uh, it wiped out it wiped out every car on the on the on the island it wiped out every every business on the island there was no sewage there was no lights there was no power there was no phones there was a, so you want to talk about that was the epit. and and there was nothing like you know you were in, you couldn't even leave right you couldn't drive you. so yeah it was the it, it epitomized when you call, when he said that cities in times of crisis turn into death traps it it literally was a death trap there were wires buzzing on the ground. I mean, it looked like, you know, it looked like there was a war and we lost, right? That's what it looked like. As you were rolling out of Long Beach, you were just like, oh my God. Um, and to an, to another point, you know, I'm, I'm working on trying to buy this, this acreage now. Um, and, and my goal is, is to literally put a 10 acre lot for myself t- so I can have a farm. I can have some horses and stuff like that, right? Um, and I'm 10 minutes from downtown, right? Which is cool. Um, the, the other the other thing that uh, as an extension of what Ivan has started to stimulate for us with the water for us and and um, the what I've referred to when I've spoken to prospective investors is think of a total end to end from aquifer to expulsion of wastewater, a complete autonomy in, in, in control of your own water. Um, That becomes this insatiable market appeal here, like in the excerpt, but I wanna go beyond that. The model that we're creating with water on demand, it's not an experiment. Um, Solar pools are doing this right now to great effect. And where are they delivering power rigs? It's not Southern California where there's brownouts. Where are they doing it? They're doing it in Africa. They're doing it in third world countries. Why? Because their general idea is, is that the, the centralized grids will figure it out on their own someday. This is a place where there is no power. So it's a quality of life issue, right? They say, well, look, if we can deliver power to places in Africa. We're improving quality of life. We're using that same investor pool model to deliver what I would argue. Um, first of all, it, it, we've, got, we've, got, we've got much more price stability than oil. We've got far greater inflation protection than real estate. You know, those, by the way, I did the math, $517,000 a home for that property, uh, for the Morgan Stanley that bought it, uh, the 80, 40, it was uh, $87 million, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, $45 million. 87 homes. It's $517,000 per property.
0: And they, um, they were okay houses. I mean, no, they were
2: nice. They were nice. And, and you're right. You, you you couldn't get a Chelsea apartment. Uh, they'll be able to rent those things for, you know, four grand a month. Right. And that's a $3,000 mortgage. They make $45,000 a month. And it's not, so that's not so bad. My point is um, when inflation rises and I believe it will, they can't just go, Hey guys, you know, that lease you signed for three years, we're going to, we're going to adjust. And no, no, that's not going to work. Right. So they can't, they can't chase the rents, right? So we have much. We have. We're, we're going to literally the the paper gallon will 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 work in real time against inflation at a, at a factor depending upon what it comes down to. So we have more price stability than than traditional energy. We have greater inflation protection than real estate, but we also have. Um, far better returns than these 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 investor pools. These wonderful investor pools for solar, which is basically the same model we have, has been working now for years. They're delivering five or seven percent, five six seven percent to their investors, and they're thrilled. You know why they're thrilled? Because they're they're eco minded investors who want to make a little bit of money to do a whole lot of good. Well, how about making a whole lot of money to do a whole lot of good? Here's what I mean. Not only, so the current model we have in water on demand, I did the quick math in my head, and I might be off by a couple of uh, numbers here, but I'm pretty close. Um, A $250 million fund, $100,000 invested in that fund will generate 27 million gallons of fresh water per 100,000. So when these eco funds that are trying to do well by do good, when they factor that in, And think about it. We're going to hit a point where this is going to go out from the concentric circles from U.S. cities to U.S. experts, to U.S. um, uh, rural communities. Right. And and beyond to the third world. Well, what happens is when you start when you start cleaning fresh water or you start making water safe in that area of the world, what do you do? You start to undo the six thousand children that die today from bad water. Think about the impact. Not only would you know that you're going to clean 20, 40, uh, twenty-seven million gallons of water, but it, 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 that's how many gallons of water you're saving with your hundred-thousand-dollar investment. But wait till you can start to calculate how many human lives, lives saved. How many human lives you're saving? Yeah. You want to talk about the definition of impact investing? There's no greater impact in the world than that.
0: Yeah, that's true.
2: And that's exciting.
0: No, and, and you what know, I think climate, about it three
2: in the morning, you know. No, no,
0: I mean, it's so true because climate change is a threat, but it's not overtly killing people. Uh, energy, uh, centralized energy, and the move to solar is good, but it's not to save lives. This is with water, it's literally to save lives. That's well, so like true.
2: you said, it's like our water here. Well, it's not going to kill you tomorrow. No one cares about it, right? Because it's not going to kill you tomorrow. Climate change will affect life or, or cause, cause loss of life over decades. People don't think in decades. People don't right um, until their backyard is burning. They don't buy a fire extinguisher right. Right. Um, so but by be, being able to by being able to speak to the investing community, which controls trillions of dollars that want to do well by do good, adding a, adding first of all a, a a significant increase in the type of well that they do by doing good right, it's significantly increasing the well part. Um, that's that's irresistible. They want to. Are you doing them.
0: well or are you doing good? Doing well.
2: You're doing well and you're doing good, right? So, but not water only well. I'm doing a water well, or if you're from Long Island, water well. Um, water well. Water well. Um, but he, here's the thing. So we're going to have a better return for these investors who they want to they protect their money the same way as everyone else. Okay. Um, but then you add a human life-saving component to this thing. It will be unique. I think it's going to be unique unto its own because I think solar is great. And, and the returns are fine, but if we can do better returns to the same crowd and say, and here's how many lives you save, category all its own.
0: No, it is the coming thing. And you know people need to get into solid assets because you know, look, look what's happened to the risk assets. So hard assets is where it's at, but you need a hard asset that is priced right. By the way, Gene Tully says he's, come, he's in from Long Island. So you know that. Gene? Yeah, he's from Long Island.
2: Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, when are you getting out? Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding.
0: Uh-huh, that's funny. No, I don't think he's there now.
2: Oh. Okay.
0: Um, Chris Worth says, very good comment. Can keep it up. Saving lives, investing by doing well, by doing good. Pitching the dollar returns 100%. So sure. you make money, you save lives. Uh, what could be better? Gene is in Georgia now. So he has two escaped. Okay. So He caught on. He got on.
2: All right. You got the memo, Gene. Good.
0: So, uh, well, this has been a really interesting show. And, and by the way, I promised everyone that I was going to um, show the new institutional deck and I didn't do it because I had so much to cover today, but it is coming. Remember that you can talk, you can and should talk to Ken. Just put OC.go Ken in your browser to schedule. Um, he He's a phenomenally intelligent person and he is also constantly... You know, he doesn't sleep at night, basically. He thinks about things like saving lives with.
2: Which is fine, except I don't sleep in the day either. Uh, So, yeah, it's. Well, we don't want you to
0: sleep ever. That's where it
2: becomes a problem, right? Sleeping is, you know. um, So one other thing is, um, I will try to, I will make a commitment to our audience that I will try to pull that institutional deck out of breaks tonight. So I have it for our discussion. How's that?
0: No, it's it's something that we're very close to, to being ready with. And, but I was got so excited about the website that I saw last night. Um, And then, of course, all these interesting developments, geopolitical developments. So, everyone be well, stay safe, uh, both personally and economically. This is very exciting times. Brian Hallinan wishes you a happy birthday. And uh, so, on the 15th, in three days, have the pleasure of being harassed by all of us. Chris Worth asked us to flash the info contact info again. So, here it is. And, we look forward to hearing from y'all. Listen, the structure of this offering is that the $20 million invested in um, the next $20 million, which includes what's already been invested. So it's only about 17 and a half million to go, uh, benefits from a locked in 10% in the water on demand spinoff. After that $20 million, it's over. That right. is the founding group and you need to get in and uh, make your self happen. James Wright says, power naps, rest by osmosis from those in society doing nothing. There you go. (laughs) If if,
2: if only, oh, forget it. Then I I would be, uh, you know, I I wouldn't have any gray hair. But um, yeah,
0: exactly. And, you know, but fortunately you don't get overheated. So therefore you didn't lose all your hair like me. That's right. All right. Anyway, that was a dad joke. Guys, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Uh, We're so excited about how it's going. We're moving fast, as you can see. We're ex- executing rapidly. Remember that what we're doing is real. We have we have this clientele that we're working on expanding into with water for us. We're just adding that financial layer, and which fi- you are helping us.
2: And the financial model has already been proven. We're simply adapting it to the largest commodity on earth. Ah, boom, drop the mic again.
0: Good night, everyone. Have a great weekend.